Welcome to Focus, a productivity podcast about more than cranking widgets. I'm David Sparks, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Mr. Mike Schmitz. Hi, Mike. Hey, David. How are you? I am great, and I'd like to welcome to the show today your friend and mine, the pen nerd of the universe, Brad Dowdy. <laughs> hey, hey, guys. How are y'all doing? Good, good. Uh, Brad is the founder of the Pen Addict website, makes the Pen Addict podcast here on the old Relay FM but uh, the reason we wanted to have Brad in is because the intersection between analog and digital tools and, and productivity and focus is, is something a lot of people are talking about these days. Mike just wrote about it over at Sweet Setup, and um, we're going to put a link to that in the show notes as well. But uh, we thought, well, if we're going to talk about analog stuff, we got to have the guy. So I'm glad you could be here today, Brad. Yeah, I'm super glad to do this. I've already told my listeners that I, I was coming on here and they're well-versed in my my struggles with focus. So I told them that I think I'm walking into an intervention today and <laughs> I, I'm not really sure what's going to transpire. <laughs> well, um, we'll be we, nice. are, we are going to talk about focus and, and productivity <laughs> stuff. At the end, we've already decided we are going to nerd out on analog tools, but we're going to do it. <laughs> At the end of the show. So if you're if you're waiting for that, we're going to do it at the end of the show. If you're not at all interested in that stuff, you can just turn off at the end. Um, but either way, uh, Brad, uh, tell us just a little bit about kind of your empire and, and what it is. Yeah, so I started a blog called The Pen Addict. It's at penaddict.com. I started that in 2007 um, just as a hobby. You know, I was an IT guy for most of my career. I had like a 15-year career at a data center working in various IT capacities. So I was well immersed in the in the digital world and had this analog thing as a hobby. I'd always been into pens and stuff since I was a little kid and always cared about what I wrote with. I'm the guy that would bring his own stuff into the office, you know, because the stuff you get out of the office supply cabinets never good enough for me it's garbage agreed yeah it's garbage don't use that bring your own so i i was just doing it it was it was basically like just a hobby type of thing um you know i had my day job and then i would just write pen reviews online because i was starting to discover this whole world of pens that weren't available available to me like at office max or staples and wanted to share more about that and find out more about that and kind of share my journey and that you know, just grew and grew and grew over the year. We started the Pen Attic Podcast with Mike Hurley um, in 2012. And then as of January 1st, 2016, I quit my day job and the Pen Addict and all of the other things that go along with what I do uh, became my full-time job. So now I am uh, working for myself. Um, it's basically the Pen Addict blog, the Pen Addict Podcast. I am part of a stationary company that makes pen cases and paper goods called Notco. Um, so we make little uh, pen cases and note cards and notebooks. And I'm also part of a company called Spoke Design that makes machined mechanical, mechanical pencils and pens. So I kind of got my uh, my tentacles in, in all the things stationary related. And uh, yeah, this is what I do. I, I talk about pens on the internet is is basically what I do. Well, I think it's interesting, you know, that you talk about your lack of focus, but then you describe this like very methodical <laughs> course you've taken from somebody who likes to bring nicer pens to work to someone who has a media uh, presence in that field. And as also you're in the game, I mean, you're selling products. Mm. I stood at your booth once 
Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. you have many times, many times. So yeah, you know, I think we all strive to like do what we do better, right? So there's a constant worry is like, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing it enough? You guys talk about it all, all the time. And it's, there's never not those questions, no matter how long you've been doing it or how, you know, air quotes successful you've been, been doing it. Um, there, there's always questions on how you can do it better. Yeah, I mean, I think I feel, I feel like if there's a sub theme to our show, it's that you never actually make it, and um, right it comes up every time. Exactly. I want to ask a question about that specifically, then, because you're right, that is a question that comes up all the time. Am I doing the right thing? But you mentioned that at the beginning, you had a tech job and yeah. you just liked using nice things, but now pretty much everything that you do is focused around the analog. I know there's a lot of people in our community. At, that do a lot of things on the computer for their day job. And so the analog is a refreshing change of pace. But what sort of progression did that take where the right thing to do just seemed more and more in line with the analog versus the the digital? Does that make, make sense? Absolutely. Because when I looked around my office, I was mostly the only one who did the the majority of their work on paper. And the reason, I guess, was twofold. The primary reason, which I think everyone is already saying in their head, is that you just think better when you can slow down, take your fingers off the keyboard, and grab a pen or a pencil and put it on the page. So when I was working, I was in a data center. I handled um, a lot of storage and had to do some networking stuff. And, you know, it's just all back-end stuff. And so I, I really had two notebooks that I used. I used a Rodia A5 pad, dot pad on my desk. That was just my notes. You know, hey, I got this phone call. I have to do this task. Or, hey, you know, here's the three things I need to focus on today. And then I'd have a large notebook. At the time, it was the Doan Paper Idea Journal that was a gridded page to where I could diagram, I could draw, I could sketch, I could think, and I could plan. And I'd never thought there were good enough tools for me to do that at the time digitally, right? I think it was more of a frustration than on trying to capture a visual aspect that I was trying to create on the computer than it was on paper. So that's where a lot of the work started. Now, it might have to finish in, you know, whatever application we're using at the time, whether, you know, it was Visio or whatever project management or, you know, however we're going to relay that information, but I don't recall ever starting a project um, on anything other than than pen and paper. Have you ever felt the desire to go back and see what's there? Because I imagine that the tools that are available have changed quite a bit. And so maybe it originated as there isn't an application that can do what I needed to do, but Mm -hmm. I don't know if if it was me in the back of my mind, I think, well, maybe things are different now. I do think about that because I'm very still to this day, I'm very interested in, in technology, you know, not necessarily as much as as y'all or some of our, our mutual friends, but, you know, I'm very interested in what the latest apps are and how they can help me, you know, do my job. And is this a better tool for, for what I'm doing right now? So I would be interested. I I think if I took myself back to my job today, I could see something like an iPad being a huge benefit, an iPad with the Apple Pencil being a huge sure. benefit to 
how I used to work. And I see why that has gained so much popularity. Um, That would be like the perfect fit for the way I did my job taking place of that large notebook. And then I would have, you know, the access that I needed to, you know, find more research and do other things all in, in one device. So I totally, totally get that. Yeah. You know, it's funny the other day, and I know we're going to talk about tools at the end, but recent, <laughs> recently I, I stumbled into this whole new world of these digital notepads. And I'm not talking about an iPad. I'm talking about things that use e-ink or a variant of e-ink. And there's a bunch of manufacturers making them now. And I got, you know, I got far enough into it that I even like looked at some YouTube videos. I'm like, wait, 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 I have my system. I don't want to mess it mm-hmm. up. But yeah, there, there's a lot of cool tools out there now. So for the the shiny new object syndrome then that I assume that you still deal with, you just kind of channel that towards analog then and that yeah. like, you only have so much shiny new you can chase. I mean, pretty much, but like I'm willing, like I've probably tried like every like task management app out there, right? Trying to figure out, I, I cannot do everything analog, which, you know, will we'll come up, I'm sure at some point in this podcast, how I actually do things, but I have to have some type of digital tool to manage task lists, to-do lists, you know, project highlights, things like that. Um, and like there, there is definitely a combination of analog and digital. I would say the majority of my work um, as far as, you know, trying to plan things out is still analog, but I, there are apps I cannot do without. Well, that might be the place to go into then. How do you actually do all the things that you do? Because you mentioned the uh, the blog, the, the podcast, mm-hmm. Notco, which I've got one of your pen cases right here with the, the rollout six, yeah. six pen holder. I, I love it. Uh, spoke design. And uh, what what do you do? in order to balance all those things and make sure that things aren't falling through the cracks? <laughs> um, that's such a good question because it, it's really hard to answer. I, I do have a general framework for what a week looks like for me. And that's pretty much as far as I go out. Like I don't really go out farther than what is up this week. So to manage that, I know... Like, so I'll know Monday I have to do X and Tuesday I have to do X and, and on through really through Sunday. I don't work most Saturdays. Um, I do work a lot of Sundays for at least, you know, part of the day. So I'm not working every day of the week, but I'm doing some work probably at least six days a week. So I know that ahead of time, what my week looks like. And I plan all that out in a planner that I'm using right now. Um, it's by William Hanna. It's a disc bound system, which, which Mike is now familiar with that type of system. (laughs) Um, and David, I think you used, uh, did you use the Levenger, uh, disc bound systems before? I still do. I have so much to talk to you about, about this later. David is the reason that I'm using a disc bound system. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, that's one of those things that I held off on, right? It's like, I don't really need that. Is that going to prove to be beneficial? But what this does for me, it allows me to keep my main task sheet open on my desk at all times. So this is an A5 size. Y'all will have to put a link in the show notes to, to so people can realize that the, don't know all of our my little lingo that A5 is, think of it as like your, uh, I don't know, like your five by eight type of notebook, right? It's, you know, about the size of like moleskine a black size. moleskin. Yeah, like a black yeah. moleskin, right around that size. So it's a good medium size notebook. So on the left of that, 
everybody in the world knows what A5 is except Americans. In America, exactly. you got letter size and compact, and A5 <laughs> is like compact. Yeah. yeah. You don't you don't want to get me started on my belief of of paper size standards, but that's a whole that's a whole thing on our <laughs> show is my my stance on paper size standards and that we need them. So um so yeah, on the left side of the page I have a block like that's um that's lengthwise across the page for Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the way through Sunday. So each little section, um, I write down the priority tasks for those days. Like Monday could say that, you know, my review is due on the pen addict, that I have to do shipping for knock, that, you know, I have invoices to pay for that, uh, for this project or, you know, that type of thing, like what's due today. And then that'll go out through my whole week. And in general, most weeks I could print that out, right? It's pretty set on what I have scheduled every day of the week at what times, what's due because we'll publish like, we'll publish four reviews on the blog, a giveaway, a couple of just generic posts. Like, Hey, after we post the podcast, that's another post. And so there's probably like nine to 10 blog entries every week. So that has to be scheduled. And then I have to manage the shipping of knock products and spoke products, which I do at my house. So that has to fit in the schedule. So where those times go, um, you know, for this week, I'm recording four podcasts, you know, I'm recording with you guys, I'm recording my show, and then I'm doing two Panatic member podcasts. So that goes on the schedule. So it's, it's kind of a puzzle that I've just kind of figured out over the years. Okay, here's my windows for working. And here's the puzzle pieces that fit in these windows. When those windows, when those time slots get full, I can't take on any more projects. Because even though like I work many days, I don't work a lot of like 10 or 12 hour days, right? Like we all have families, we all have kids. I'm very fortunate that I can, you know, stop in the middle of the day for two hours to go to a meeting or take the kid to, you know, to the doctor or, you know, do those types of things. I work in blocks. So I know what blocks I have to fill and where I can get the work done. And then I know the blocks that don't work for me and I don't schedule anything around them. Okay. Well, I just got to stop there. Brad Dowdy is a time blocker, guys. Yeah. Heard it right here. Uh-oh, is that what I am? <laughs> no, that's, yeah. that's, that's what I, I think that's a very great, a very good way to be realistic. One of the hardest things to do as you start thinking about being focused is figuring mm-hmm. out what's important enough to take your time and what's not. And you have created a system, knowingly or unknowingly, that actually mm-hmm. puts constraints on your day. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, good. So like I cannot physically work eight to five and well it's not physically mentally i cannot mentally work eight to five and stop for lunch right i don't do that my schedule uh is set up like to avoid that because i know at some point i'm not going to be as good at my job so i'll block it up into two different things that might extend further in the day but they have bigger gaps in the middle of the day so there's no like continuous work window every day but the entirety of the work gets done during the day yeah that's not that's not a bad thing by the way Uh, i think a lot of people struggle with that so i do want to call this out real quick that with knowledge work specifically you can't compare it to working a standard nine to five Uh, all of the research behind 
effective knowledge work shows that even the people who are really, really good at it, they're really doing about four hours of work in a day, not eight. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So really, you've got to measure it against the production and the things that you're able to do. And I think that's something everybody has to figure out for themselves is where is that point of diminishing returns where I'm going to get the blog post scheduled, I'm going to get the stuff shipped, but I'm not going to worry about the fact that I didn't get eight hours in today. You know, that's not a very effective measure of true productivity i would argue and it's one that will always make you feel like a slacker and feel bad (laughs) yeah that was a challenge when i started working for myself is taking a break and not telling myself well i'm not working this is an opportunity to be working i should be working and that's like exactly the opposite of what i should be doing yep so with the blocks that you set aside for the things that you need to do you mentioned you do that on a weekly basis for the Mm -hmm. things that you've got to do on specific days. Do you do that on a daily basis as well? When it comes to Wednesday, are you looking at the things that you have to do on Wednesday and rearranging blocks at that point? Generally, yeah. Uh, Even though they're pretty much fixed ahead of time, right? So I'll know that, for example, the podcast runs at 10 o'clock. So I'll I'll have gotten up and, you know, had breakfast or coffee or whatever and not, I won't dig into any projects before the podcast. So that's, that's time that I'll spend like doing email, catching up on smaller tasks, things like that. And then like the last hour before the show, I'll go back through the show prep. And then by the time we record and post and everything like that, that's, that's my entire morning until, you know, like the early afternoon till afternoon sometime. So I know that going into ahead of every week. So I generally don't have to rearrange that on the fly. And then I'll know that Wednesday afternoon, for a couple hours, I have to focus on shipping. That's pretty consistent. Sometimes the shipping window does move around if something pops up. Like if you guys wanted to record on Wednesday afternoon, that's where this would fit. And I could move the shipping to Tuesday afternoon. And those kind of things do move around like that. So, and then I'll finish that block up on Wednesday. Then I know on Wednesday night at 830, I always have a member podcast to record. So, you know, from like eight till about 930, I block that up for that. So yeah, I, they don't move around too much during the day. I know that pretty much in advance how it's going to play out. Um, I don't think I would be very good planning it on the fly. I, I don't work well that way. You say that, but I'm hearing somebody <laughs> who has a lot of structure to his week. <laughs> yeah, my week, I, I will admit my week is very structured. Um, the problems are when I when I get off track, right? Like I I will beat myself up for not doing the the work during the window, even though there might have been a good excuse or there might have been a bad excuse, whichever excuse there is, and then having to figure out now my week is so tight, now I have to frustrate myself further by rearranging that schedule, right? So that's that's the challenges that I have. I so one of my things, I so I'm a I'm a time blocker as well. I, I call it hyper scheduling, which was a huge mistake because people misunderstand that to mean that I'm saying, okay, you get seven and a half minutes to go, you know, mm-hmm. to the bathroom. Um, mm-hmm. and occasionally somebody writes a blog post where they talk about this schedule that they have that is is like that. And I think that's kind of missing the point. I to me the idea is exactly what you're describing saying here's a you know you've got so many blocks in a day. Let's say 3 blocks in a full work day. You know, where am I going to apportion those? And I I'm not saying exactly what I'm going to do during that time, 
but I'm going to be working in this sphere of influence for that time. Or there's this one thing that's been bugging me and I'm just going to stop everything and work on that. And I think that is so productive and such a great way to make your, you know, to actually move the needle on stuff that's important to you. Um, so uh, it, you criticizing yourself saying, well, I'm not good <laughs> at, you know, the list, you're actually doing it right in my opinion. Yeah. So the, the problem is I, when something throws off the norm and I, I can give you a really perfect example that happened today. I had a dentist appointment at 9 a.m. That only comes up every six months, right? So I don't realize that till about a week before when they start texting you. It's like, hey, you got a dentist appointment. So I didn't get my normal morning routine in of, you know, today I would have published a giveaway post on the blog. Every Tuesday I do, I give something away to the readers. And that's every Tuesday for like the past, I don't know how many years, like like three years consecutively. And then on Wednesday, uh, someone y'all know, uh, Jeff Abbott, he writes a review for The Pen Addict. And Jeff had sent in his article for the week, like Monday night. So knowing I had the dentist this morning at 9 a.m. And on Tuesdays, I always stream at 10 a.m. So I knew I didn't have much time to do work. I said, well, I'm going to go in and edit Jeff's post this morning. And I did, because that's the only thing I'm going to have time for. So I went and did the post. And then I published Jeff's post today instead of tomorrow and forgot to publish the giveaway post today, which now I have to schedule tomorrow. <laughs> so I get thrown off when there's these one-off things in my schedule, right? So it totally screwed me up. Just that little once every six months thing appeared today and it made me make a bunch of mistakes, like this cascading thing of mistakes. It was, it was kind of funny. I laugh about it because none of these are serious mistakes. Like I didn't, I didn't break anything, but I was just like, you dummy. This episode of the Focused Podcast is brought to you by Blinkist. Read 3,000 plus books in 15 minutes or less. Start your seven-day free trial now. Just go to Blinkist.com slash focused. With our ever-changing routines, there's never been a better time to learn something new. But there are thousands of options available, and finding the best way to learn can be challenging. I want to tell you about an app I recommend called Blinkist. Blinkist works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser, and it gives you the best takeaways from over 3,000 nonfiction bestsellers in over 27 categories. It condenses them down into what they call Blinks, which you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes. And now Blinkist offers its members even more, including exclusive original podcasts from top authors and creative thinkers. You still get access to the entire Blinkist library with your membership. And now you can also dive deeper into full-length nonfiction audiobooks at a special discounted price. Successful people are known for reading a lot of books, and with Blinkist, you can finish a book during your commute, lunch break, or while you do the dishes. I am totally sold on Blinkist. I get told all the time about great books that I should read. There's so many that I don't have time to read them all, and I use Blinkist to get me that summarized version. Quite often, I get those key points out of it, and I'm good. Sometimes, however, I'll listen to a Blinkist book and be so impressed by it that I'll go and buy the whole book. But I don't do it with everyone. In fact, most of them, I get what I need just using Blinkist. One of my favorite workflows is to listen to it because they do an audio recording and then go back and read it so I can kind of do that second pass. If you want to give Blinkist a try, why not try a popular bestseller like Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker or Atomic Habits, which we talk about on the show all the time. 
Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for just our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash focused, F-O-C-U-S-E-D, to start your free seven-day trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership and up to 65% off audiobooks. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash focused to start your free seven-day trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership and up to 65% off audiobooks, which are yours to keep forever. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, dot com slash focused, F-O-C-U-S-E-D, to get 25% off a premium membership and a seven-day free trial. Go there now, check it out, Blinkist.com slash focused. Thanks, Blinkist, for your support of Focused and all of Relay FM. Before the break, Brad, you had mentioned how things threw off your uh, your plan for the week and you had mixed up the the review and the giveaway posts but i it occurs to me as you were telling that that i i'm like you where if i don't stick to the plan i can tend to beat myself up because i'm such an idiot i i, I messed this thing up and don't i know by now that the reviews <laughs> go out on on wednesday but it occurs to me that the way you do your planning with the planning for the week even though for the daily plan got messed up, your weekly plan is still intact. So maybe yeah, the, your, the your blocks own... just got moved. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think that's really a <laughs> catastrophic <laughs> failure there. I think maybe you need to give yourself a break. <laughs> <laughs> maybe so. Like it's all I'm staring at my calendar while I'm talking to you. It's all written right there. What needs to publish when? And I've done this for years in a row and you still screw it up. <laughs> I, I've said this before and I, I don't I just can't remember who told me this the first time, but uh, these calendar blocks, it is like making soup in the sense that you can throw the ingredients in a different order if things change. Yep. But yep. I do think there's something to be said for um, if you're trying to stay focused, being aware of what it is that throws you into disarray. Like um, for me, it would be answering email before like 10, 30, 11. If I, if I let myself fall into the email hole before, you know, and give up those early morning productive hours, it always wrecks my day. And another one for me is if I fail to do what I we call on the show the shutdown at the end of the day where I go through and, you know, clear out email and plan the next mm. day. If I don't do those two, if I go to email early or if I don't do the shutdown, uh, there is a huge price to pay in my own focus. Um, what about you? Do you? Are there things for you that you feel like are, you know, your kryptonite? Yeah, I'm totally trying to initiate the the shutdown protocol at the end of the day. That's <laughs> always a hard one. And I've gotten better over the years. Like that's something like, you know, my family's very much on me for that, right? He's like, you don't have to check email. It's like after dinner or whatever. Like there's no reason to to even bother to look just in case something came in that's now gonna send you like in a, a spiral of thought, whether it could be good or bad, right? It's then I'm not no longer present when I was trying to have my family time. Just a tiny bit of advice on that. Um mm-hmm. use some if you've got technology a way to force yourself into it. Like I have a, a keyboard maestro script on my Mac that literally shuts all my apps at four 30. Mm, it just shuts nice. it. And it's like, okay, I don't have a choice. It's like the, it's <laughs> like the bomb is going to go off at four 30. I have to get everything done so I can do the shutdown. And I had to force myself to do that. And I still sometimes don't manage it, but every time I do it, it pays off. And every time I don't do it, 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 it costs. So, <laughs> so, so David has chosen 
David has chosen the focused nuclear option. <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah. And I'm getting to the point where I don't need to use a nuclear option anymore, but I still have it enabled because I can't be trusted. Yeah, so I'm trying to use the the focus analog option. So at the end of the day, I'll take a note card and just write the remaining things that are stuck in my head. And they're usually not work-related, right? By the end of the day, my mind's starting to wander and I've thought about other things. And I'll just have these other ideas I want to capture. So I'll take a note card. And I started publishing these on Instagram. And, you know, just I, I call it one of my readers came up with the name analog download trying to figure out how we're getting the things out of our brain onto a piece of paper. And they, they came up with that name and I liked it. So I do, it's essentially just a brain dump of, of nonsense to tell myself your day's over. These were the things that were left over that are, are currently rolling around your brain. And then when you, you write that card, they've all come out and now you're done for the day. Like that's kind of, kind of where I've ended my day. That's been going, I've been doing that for about two months now. It works very well. I, I really enjoy it. My, my brain tends to be my, my worst enemy just in, in the way I work, just getting distracted and things like that. What do you do with the cards after you've posted them to Instagram? Cause I've seen those. I like those a lot. Mm-hmm. Is there, do you go back and review those at any point or do you just pitch them at that point that just downloading it onto the card was, was yeah. enough downloading on the cards enough but i don't throw them away right now i i just have a stack of them like it's probably like two inches high now i don't even know but i don't have a good storage solution i keep talking about trying to find a good storage solution just like a good card box or you know library card catalog file but i don't go back and review them if for some reason i've triggered something that either needs to be explored more or if I have some, every now and then I might, I might have a new sketch design at that time for a product design, right? I will, I might put it on the note card, then I might put it into a, a notebook that I do refer back to in the future. The cards, I haven't referred back to them ever, I don't think. So is the belief that you, you might need them at some point, that why you hang on to them? Or do you intend to go back and review them? Like you see the value in creating that process, but you just haven't yet? I'd say it's more the latter. I I think there's some probably interesting stuff in there that if I took them as a whole or took, you know, say let's today I review last week's cards and see is there anything I need to to pick up on. I think that would be valuable. So yeah, I I see the value in there in the existing data, if you will, and I've set it aside until I know how to answer that question better. And then when I figure that out, they'll be there. Okay. And, and you know, the, just the idea of writing it down is a therapy in a sense of getting it out of your head, putting it down. I mean, that that was one of the big takeaways for so many of us when we first read the David Allen Getting Things Done book. Just the, the uh, feeling of getting everything out of your mind and onto a trusted system. You know, just the unburdening yourself and and doing that as a daily practice has got to feel really good as you as you finish your day yeah and i i should probably do it like three times a day to be perfectly honest like i get really really wound up in my in my head and like distracted on on work just getting off on tangents and honestly we all know that you you definitely have enough note cards to do it three times a day. <laughs> <laughs> i'm good on note cards <laughs> not co.com and um they it's just a good 
the note cards are the best for that type of work, which is why I don't use a, a notebook like a, in a journal style of keeping those notes. That would not work for me at all because a, a notebook to me is added pressure to write where a note card is no pressure to write. Sure, that makes sense. During the day then, you mentioned that you could do this multiple times per day. Do mm-hmm. you jot things down? either in a text file if you happen to be on your computer while you're doing the work or on a separate note card, notebook somewhere, or do you just kind of put your head down, do the work, and then at the end of the day, you clear the decks? No, I I will stop and I'll, I'll write notes in two places. One, uh, digitally, I have fallen in love with Tot. Um, that has served to be a very useful application for the way I like to be in the middle of work have a complete offshoot idea that needs to go away so I can continue with the work and I can put it somewhere to go back later, right? It's like, I'm working, this thought is worth exploring, but it needs to not be explored now. So Tot has has worked well for that. I just keep it in the menu bar. Uh, of my of my laptop and and then I bought the app for the phone because I found it so useful um and I, I'll just write my notes in there where this is where ideas go you know quotes go just notes just random stuff and then I keep a notebook that is just chock full of ideas of writing of topic exploration like if I'm I could be sitting there doing a pencil review and I could be listening to music in the background and the song could trigger some idea about something. I was like, and it stops me in my tracks, which is kind of bad when you're doing work, but then I can take that idea, open this one notebook I have. Like I, if I open this notebook, there's like little pages of like complete idea exploration. It's like, okay, I had this idea. Let me write a page or two about it. And then the same notebook has drawings all through it. It has quotes that, you know, maybe I heard someone say in a podcast that I want to remember. Um, you know, it has, it has pen testing. So I keep this one notebook is essentially my, the only thing that I would even refer to as a journal of mine. It's just kind of with me all the time and anything can go in there except like work stuff, like tasks, to-do lists. None of that stuff goes in this notebook. There's a separate place for that. This notebook is for like ideas and exploration of ideas and then they might become work later. Then they can go somewhere else. But that's where between Tot digitally and then there's just this one random notebook that I keep. It's like the same A5, you know, moleskin size. Um, that's a new thing for me as well that I just started this year because I've never found no paper type systems work for me as far as like journaling goes or as plant as far as planning goes, other than like what I use with my William Hanna notebook, just the, the weekly planner. Um, I don't, you know, bullet journal or commonplace journal or morning pages or, or any of those things. None of that type of structures ever work for me. So you created the the anti bullet journal, <laughs> <laughs> kinda. I guess it's like you know, I I don't know how to explain it. Like like you open up one page, there's two quotes that I wrote down. There's a list. You go to the next page. There's sketches of nibs where I'm trying to explain to myself how certain nibs work. You go to the next page. It's notes on a project article that I wanted to write about a site called Fountain Pen Companion. But not things you have to do. 
Right. No, no, none of it's things I have to do. See, now, to me, that sounds like the traditional commonplace journal that, you know, like the founders used to carry around where they had a little book they carried around. They wrote all sorts of stuff in it. And they, you know, they didn't feel kind of bound to uh, having a particular format. Like one day it may be, you know, you know, how to fly a kite with a key hung to it or you know, whatever, <laughs> you know. But that sounds to me like you're describing a commonplace journal. Maybe I should look into that uh, definition a little bit more. Maybe it is falling into that, and I, I'm I'm not totally totally aware. Yeah. Ah, oh, man, you're not inventing something. You're going back to the. You're going back to you know ground zero here. I mean, I use pens <laughs> and paper. <laughs> pens and paper. I mean, that's the most ground zero there is. But I do think the idea of having different contexts, whether it's digital or analog, for different ways you work and think, can be a really powerful idea. I mean, you you've got taught. You've got a digital tool. You've got a You've mm-hmm. got your commonplace journal. I'm just going to call it that for the rest of the episode. Sure. Um, but you've got, you know, you've got these things where you go different places and it allows you to process things in different ways. I, I have a certain set of pages that I write down quotes that I hear that I think I want to think about again. And like I mm-hmm. go there, I write them and then it's like, it's off my plate, but then I know where to go to find them when I need them. And as somebody who does a lot of digital stuff, I think this has real value. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. That's exactly how I do it. And I'm not a work in quiet, you know, peaceful mind type of worker. I have to be like, I'm just as I could, I could probably do my job in on like a factory floor and like, give me, you know, like a laptop and a notebook and I'd sit there and be fine. I have to have some type of other stimulation going while I'm working. So you know, the pros are, it makes me work better. The cons are, sometimes it stops me in my tracks. But when I do get stopped in my tracks, maybe it's for a good reason. And maybe that's something I can write down. And maybe that's something I can explore later. But like, it has to go, right? It has to go at that time, whether it's in the digital file on TOT, in a notebook or whatever, so I can get back to work. So I do understand that and do use these tools for that reason. So you mentioned that you could do your job on a factory floor. That's intriguing to me because that seems like when you talk about focus, a lot of it is having to do with your environment and Mm -hmm. designing it in a way to limit distractions and interruptions. And if I'm hearing you right, you're basically saying that in any sort of environment, you're so connected with the work that you would be able to, to do it. So what are the things that cause you to lose focus? I guess the world we live in. (laughs) (laughs) That's a big one right now. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like, it's been really hard to, like, to, to work in this environment that we live in because you have to think about other things constantly other than the work, you know, and that's something everyone's experiencing, not, not just me. Um, you know, so trying to figure out the balance of, making sure I'm, I'm up to date and knowledgeable on what's going on with the world while being able to work. Um, in the past, it's just been, um, maybe not being as rigid enough with my schedule, giving myself too many openings that bleed into not working and then putting pressure on actually getting to the work when I need to do it. So sometimes just like I could stop for lunch you know, and then, you know, say from 12 to one, I'm, you know, eating lunch, taking a break, catching up on the internet, doing whatever, and then not being rigid enough to go back and say, okay, one o'clock, let's, let's go punch out these task list items. Um, so 
your afternoon and evening are in better shape and and instead of just like passing the buck to say, well, I can do these later. So you yeah, definitely a little bit of procrastination in there. Um, I've, I've mostly got over some of the procrastination um, just because my schedule is full and I like it that way. <laughs> I like a full schedule. I liked, I like it when I'm working. Um, I also, but I also enjoy it when I'm not working. So it's trying to figure out that balance to have the best of both worlds. Is there anything that you use as like a, focus SOS to help you get back when you realize that your focus has been broken. Like for example, I know there's a lot of people and I do this myself sometimes where when I need to write, there's a specific like Monument Valley soundtrack or anything Mm -hmm. by Tycho that I'll just put on and then it kind of gets me in the mood. And once I get started, then it's easier for me to, to keep going. Is there any sort of lifeline like that, that you use when it comes to, I got to focus right now? Yeah, I know when, the most serious work I have to do. Like if I have to focus, I can't, there can't be anything really but music, but the music could be loud or, or quiet or anything like that. But I can't hear other people talking necessarily like in a podcast or whatever. Like if I was like, I could work in a coffee shop where there's that ambient chatter, but I couldn't work on anything where, you know, someone else is, is relaying information. So music is it for me. Um, when, the most focus needs to happen. I do tend to go to the quieter stuff like uh, a band called Seeger Rose is one of my main writing soundtracks. So when, when Seeger Rose comes on, it's time for me to get serious because it's essentially just almost background ambient type music. Um, so that's kind of the trigger, but I would honestly, I would, I probably need more defined stuff for when that's not working. Like if that doesn't work, like if I have to, commit you know a couple of hours to writing and getting this one task done or whatever the task is and i'm still not getting it done i don't have anything that kind of pulls me back in i'll just i'll just stop like i will sometimes i will just stop i won't fight it i'll I'll just quit and put it down for an hour or two and then i'll naturally come back to it um when i'm when i'm ready I think that's actually a pretty brilliant strategy. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people who try to force themselves to do things when they don't really need to do them just because they put this artificial pressure on themselves. They got to check the boxes on their task list so that they had a, a productive day mm-hmm. when sometimes you're just not feeling it and it's it's fine to just say, I need a break. And yeah. then come back to it later and it's going to be much easier. You're going to crank that thing out, write those 2,000 words in 20 minutes as opposed to four right. hours. <laughs> yeah, re- retreat is not surrender. It's okay. Yeah. Yep. And I, I'm fortunate to be in that position, right? I work for myself. Not everyone can say, you know, forget it. I'll be back in two hours and then we'll knock this out when, when my head's right. Like I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be able to, to do that. So it, it's certainly a challenge. And I do that. That comes up a lot where I'll just have to stop. And then I have this weird sensation of when I go back to start again, like I don't set a timer. Like it, it's just happens. It could be 30 minutes. It could be two hours, whatever it is. It could be the next day. And then when I come back to pick it back up, I'm like, usually I feel different, like mentally, like I'm more like in the zone and like, boy, I really like writing this. We're going to bang this out right now and we're good to go. And then not even think about why I couldn't do it yesterday. 
Yeah. And that and that's why you need to back off when things are like that. Um, I, I think it's such a great idea to have other things you can go do, or maybe just go take the dog on a walk. You know, it's okay. Totally. This episode of Focused is brought to you by Focus at Will. I am super excited to have Focus at Will as a sponsor of Focus. I've been using this service for years. And if you struggle to concentrate, then you need Focus at Will too. It's a music service that's specifically designed for increasing your flow state and productivity while reducing the distractions around you. So what does that mean? If you are a knowledge worker, and you sit down at your computer because you have to create something like writing articles, for example, which is how I use this, and you sit there and you stare at the blank cursor and you have the time to work on something, but you just have trouble getting things to flow, then Focus at Will can help get things unstuck and get your creativity flowing freely. Kind of like how instrumental music can be the thing that helps get people into the zone so they can write, except that this music has been designed to specifically help you do just that. Now, each brain type is different, and Focus at Will offers an in-app assessment agent which uses data from the biggest brain database in the world. They combine that with their own data from nine years of music research to recommend a specific music type and energy level that will work best for you. It's instrumental music that's designed to get you in the zone. Focus at Will has a team of neuroscientists, music producers, and musicologists that work to create unique, focus-optimized music that you won't find anywhere else. Now, as a Focus listener, you probably already know the value that just one intensely focused session can have. Often, you can find yourself producing more work in two focused hours than you typically do in an entire day. I know I've been there myself. Sometimes I can crank out 1,500 words in 20 minutes. Sometimes I sit at the keyboard for four hours and I get only 500 words done. And that's really frustrating. So Focus at Will helps me achieve those levels of intense concentration more often. Their subscribers include entrepreneurs, freelancers, writers, designers, students, and include people that work in large corporations like Google, Tesla, Apple, SpaceX, and Microsoft. Listeners of this show can get 60% off of a Focus at Will subscription. That is a great deal. Just go to focusatwill.com and use the code FOCUSED, F-O-C-U-S-E-D, at checkout. That's focusatwill.com and use the code FOCUSED at checkout to get 60% off. Our thanks to Focus at Will for their support of the Focus podcast and all of Relay FM. Brad, let's talk a little bit about analog productivity. Um, yeah. I think for a lot of nerds, myself included, I, you know, I grew up of an age where analog was the only technology. You know, I didn't mm-hmm. have computers in schools we had pencils and paper and then as the digital tools came out it was just so obvious to me how superior they were in so many ways it's searchable you can make a copy of it it's you know there's just a lot of things about digital tools in relation to a lot of the stuff we're talking about that makes so much sense so i was slow to the idea of coming back and using some analog tools but i got there and um I thought it'd be fun to talk to you about how do you see that line between being productive, I'm holding up air quotes, and mm-hmm. using analog tools? I, of course, think it's it's vital that someone in any 
type of job, it doesn't matter what you do, that you have some type of connection to analog because just by default, you're going to think about problems differently. You could be... you could be like the most ace programmer ever and just locked into your laptop or your keyboard and your monitor setup and your digital apps to to time everything and to manage it all. And you could do that for years and years and years. But I firmly believe that if there was a pad and a pen or pencil sitting on that desk next to your iPhone or iPad, that that's going to help you generate even better work just by accident, right? Just by being there to allow you to explore, you know, your problem you're having on your screen or to come up with a new idea. Writing that down in a text file is not the same. It just isn't. And the way people process that, even the most computer digital, you know, people on the planet. I just think there is so much value to having just I'm the most basic. You don't ever have to listen to the pen addict ever. But if you just have whatever notepad, whatever copier paper and a pencil you can find in the drawer and you have it there, you will feel different about the work that you do. I promise you. Like it's it's hard to put in words if you haven't done this type of work, but it makes a difference in how your brain thinks. And there's, you know, there's all kinds of research on this and it's valid. Like it's, it makes your brain work differently than, you know, sitting here on any type of device and the value that provides, it might not be seen on the same day that you pick up that pencil and scribble a circle on the page just because you're stuck on a problem. But, you know, tomorrow that circle might turn into like a few words and an idea that you explore a little bit more. And then tomorrow it might turn into, well, here's this complex problem that I have. And, you know, what I just wrote down, that's not going to solve anything, but, you know, six months from now, I've run that through my brain and I can come back to that or I see that or I do the next task differently because of that. And it's hard to get that type of feeling writing in a text file or using an app. I just, I firmly believe that. No, I, I totally get it. And only do I get it through the experience of trying it because uh, like I said, I I'm of the age where these digital tools came in while we use the old stuff. Right. And all mm-hmm. the failings of the old stuff. So just like going from records to CDs was such a change. I felt like, you know, going to these digital tools was such an improvement. And then the iPhone even amplifies that because the iPhone fits in your pocket. Right. So you've already mm-hmm. got the world's smallest, you know, infinitely expandable note card in your pocket. Um, but um, I, I listened to you guys. I tried it. I start, I, th- I felt like it was making a difference, but then I still resisted at one point. I gave up the analog tools again. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that I was missing something. And, um, and it, it really took me going through two or three attempts. But, um, but for me, I can say that the, the big difference is 
um, for someone who does so much work digital, having the analog, having that context shift we were talking about earlier, uh, mm-hmm. gives my brain space and it does make a difference in, in focus. Yeah. And it really doesn't take much. And you don't have to go overboard and become a pen addict. (laughs) You just have to allow yourself this little bit of exploration every now and then. And the benefit of those few minutes scribbling on a piece of paper today, you know, will benefit you, you know, two years from now, you know, if you keep up the habit, I'm not here to convert anybody. I'm the biggest digital fan outside of anyone on the Relay FM network that I know. But, you know, it's in combination that I'm able to do my best work. Like these tools are here for a reason. You know, I I don't do well with certain things on an analog, in an analog format, like calendaring. I, I, I cannot manage a calendar on paper. I use, you know, a digital app for that. But the things that this piece of paper gives me outside of the calendar um, are just, are just super, super valuable. People need to kind of figure out where the line is for them. But as a creative, I've noticed that the biggest benefit of the analog supplement, I guess, to the, the digital system has been recognizing which types of ideas, thoughts, patterns, problems are worth being inefficient with. Because Mm -hmm. when you're talking about developing an idea, it's not a short path between A to B to finished product. And you do need to give yourself time to noodle on things and to connect dots in new and interesting ways. And using pen and paper for me, that's kind of the ideal case there is that it forces me to slow down and it forces my brain to be engaged. That was kind of the thing as I was taking a bunch of notes digitally, I recognized that I could jot things down because I'm a fast typist, pretty much word for word, any, any talk mm-hmm. that I would attend. But then you could ask me two hours later, what was the talk about? And I wouldn't, I wouldn't remember. <laughs> right. So I got really good at being efficient in capturing what was said, but I wasn't internalizing any of it. And that's kind of what got me into sketch noting. And uh, I've now have kind of evolved to the point where I want to do everything that I can analog because I recognize the the benefit of the additional connections that your brain makes, not just in doing the definition of the task to be completed in front of you, but really it's quality over quantity uh, in in a lot of cases. Yeah, at at a minimum, it's the best step one there is out there right? Like the initial ideas, throw them on paper, make a mess, draw arrows everywhere. Like that doesn't necessarily work as well. I mean, you know, you can, you can argue there's, there's plenty of iPad apps that, that could do that, but you know, the actual, you know, getting ink on your hands (laughs) type of situation by just throwing things on the page before you start and exploring how you feel about something. I don't know. I, I work, in a, I write in a very non-technical manner. I write more in a, you know, talking about like how I feel about things. So I sometimes have to explore that on the page and I'll write, just handwrite, you know, whatever idea I'm having in this notebook. 
and that'll turn into an article later or a topic later that I want to discuss, or maybe it's something I want to discuss on the podcast that I need to flesh out. I can't do that in Ulysses, right? Which is where I write all everything in Ulysses, but I can't, ex- I'm not the type of person that benefits from exploring my words in a digital interface. Yes, exactly. It just w- works better on paper. And even even a mind map, I've done a lot with mind mapping, and and that I, I like that on the the iPad specifically because you can touch your nodes and you can move them around. But it's not the same as doing it on paper. Yeah, I do a lot of technical writing. We mentioned the article that I, I published recently about my my hybrid system, and there's an mm-hmm. image in there where I the published one is actually the third version of it, so mm-hmm. it's very inefficient when you're talking about creating like a diagram of your productivity workflow. But <laughs> the process of drawing that by hand made me more attached to it. I'm more, it sounds crazy to say it, but it feels like I'm more emotionally invested in the system that I created on the paper because I've gone through different iterations of it and blood, sweat, and tears went into that. And I can't just circle something and swap it out with a different app. I'd have to redraw the whole thing. <laughs> and sometimes I guess, you know, there could be a case where you get stuck with some things that maybe you shouldn't, but I, it's still new to me and it feels really good. And, and I, I totally get what you're talking about with that. Yep, that makes that makes complete sense. And like we did a a big 400th episode, you know, kind of Panatic 101 episode and I basically had to build a mind map for how we're going to discuss this and I wrote it all on paper first and then I put it in MindNode and you know in in my MindNode was essentially the the version 3. So I could share it with Mike and share it with our readers because it it I really didn't want to scan my notebook <laughs> notes for that to share with everybody, but to kind of give people an idea of what we're going to talk about, I put the final version in MindNode and shared it. It's 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 all collaborative. Like these analog and digital tools all work together and they benefit each other uh so much. Well, I mean, even for me, um the, one of the biggest negatives of trying using paper was speed i yes. i can input so much faster with a keyboard or now my voice i mean voice dictation has got so good that um why on earth would i stop and scribble out because I'm my writing is slow um, but you know i think that to me ended up being the reason i really stuck with it because slowing down the pen allowed the brain to process more and you know the, the hang up was never that I couldn't input text fast enough. The hangup was between my two ears. Mm-hmm. And now by slowing myself down with the pen. And and to be fair, I mean, people are saying, well, you know, are you going to give up OmniFocus? Of course not. I have 150 right. clients. I've got three podcasts. I use all these digital tools for a lot, but uh, there's a small portion of my life that I use analog stuff for. And we'll talk about that later. But uh, you don't have, this isn't an all or nothing thing. But if you're out there using a lot of digital stuff, I think, uh, and you want to try focus, try a different context for yourself. I think this is worth a try. Yeah, absolutely. And just so, I mean, just so people know, I live in Todoist. I live in Ulysses. I live in Fantastical. I live in my email app. You know, I am super digitally wired in. You have to, like all my work is is done through the internet, but it gets there differently. Like it starts on paper for me because that's how I work the best. And then we go from there. And the thing that's holding up the creation of the articles and all the work that is visible is not the efficiency of a tool like Ulysses. It's right. what are the words that you're going to create and no application is going to do that for you. <laughs> yeah, when I open up Ulysses to start typing, the article's essentially done 
you know, not in a verbatim way, but in a, in a creative outline type of way, right? Like I know yep. what I'm writing before. I'm not, I've never opened a list Ulysses and put in a title and said, okay, go. Like it, I just don't and then work. the cursor work just that started way. moving and the words yeah. appeared. <laughs> yeah. So like the analog side of, of my brain, it, that's how it, that's how it gets me to the end result. I also think there's a lot to be said about the joy that comes with analog. I mean, just the, the word analog, there's kind of an emphasis on all the feels. But mm-hmm. as I mentioned in the article that I wrote recently, that's kind of the thing that got me thinking recently about this is we're in the middle of a, a some crazy times right now. And I would have the, if you look at it on the surface, I would have all of the capacity to do my normal work, but I just couldn't do the normal work. I just mm-hmm. emotionally w- couldn't couldn't muster up the motivation to to do what I used to be able to do. And so I found myself leaning into the analog tools more and more just because they brought me joy. And the happier I got, the better my output was. <laughs> so it wasn't a matter of not knowing what to do. It wasn't that OmniFocus was holding me back, but the inefficient practice of taking the things out of OmniFocus and putting them on paper pen as I plan my day and I, I limit myself to the five five things I'm going to do today. I've got the five five blocks next to my my time block schedule. You know, that helped me to to be more quote unquote productive mm-hmm. than the application was allowing me to be. And I think that's the kind of thing that we undervalue a lot is our emotional state when it comes to being focused and being productive. Yeah, you made a good point that if I th- I think about it, I am very inefficient in the fact that I write everything down twice, right? So all my stuff's in all the digital apps, but then it gets written again in my paper and then I refer to the paper and the paper's where things get modified and manipulated. Um, it's It's inefficient that I've done that twice, but it's efficient because that's how I work best in the end, right? I it's won't a net remember. Win, yeah. yeah, I won't remember to go to go, oh, what's in Todoist at two o'clock? Like if I, you know, I can set my alerts or whatever. But I think you understand what I'm saying. I'm not gonna constantly refer back to the apps. I don't live in apps enough to have them run my life where I pretty much do on paper. Yeah. And, and there's a couple of nuances to that. I mean, like mm-hmm. I was, that was kind of the, the raw um, productivity thought I was bringing to the table when I first approached analog tools is like, it's slower, but then you, mm-hmm. you've got to think about two things. Number one is, is it slower? Because the process of writing it out by hand and then writing it in your digital form, how much time did that take versus if you had just looked at a blank cursor and not taken the step first of writing it out? So you may find it was actually faster. Uh, and the second and probably more important point is which end product would have been better for you. And this isn't true for everybody, mm-hmm. but does the process of writing it out and then going to the digital form, does that make a better end product? And everybody has to answer that question for themselves, but you may be surprised uh, at the answer for yourself. Yep, I, I totally agree. And I've found that pretty early on, thankfully, like that part of how I work has not really changed in years and years and years. So um, that, that's been good. It's just, um, you know, fitting the rest of the puzzle around all that stuff.
This episode of the Focus Podcast is brought to you by ExpressVPN. High-speed, secure, and anonymous VPN services. Get three months for free with a one-year package. Just go to expressvpn.com slash focused. You might think that nobody wants your online data or to snoop on you, but when you browse the web without anything to protect your privacy, you risk hackers, ad companies, and more collecting your data. And it does happen to people like us, which is why I recommend ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN runs in the background of your computer or phone. It encrypts your data and hides your public IP address. You just download the app, click to connect, and you're protected. ExpressVPN is rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar. It uses new cutting-edge technology called Trusted Server to make sure there's no logs of what you do online. And it costs less than $7 a month and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Even in the era of social distancing, I still find myself in public in areas that don't have good cellular connection, and I have to use that Wi-Fi, and every time I do, I just turn on ExpressVPN. It protects me. I don't have to think about somebody else's Wi-Fi getting me into trouble. I recently had a doctor's appointment, and at the doctor's office, they've got so much equipment in there, there is no cellular coverage. You have to use their Wi-Fi. I just flip the switch. I'm on ExpressVPN. I'm all good. So why not protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months for free at expressvpn.com slash focused, F-O-C-U-S-E-D. That's expressvpn, E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash focused for three months free with a one-year package. Take back your online privacy today with expressvpn.com slash focused. And our thanks to ExpressVPN for their support of focused and all of FM. All right. Okay, guys, I have to admit, I'm not sure this is really on point for the Focus podcast. This is the part I've been waiting to talk about. (laughs) All right, let's get a little nerdy for a while and talk about. So let's say you're listening to the show. You're like, hey, I want to try this out. Um, The uh, the answer is not to go buy a three hundred dollar pin. And please don't. (laughs) And and, uh, you know, some very artisanal paper that's made by uh, 40 year old eucalyptus leaves, uh, it's probably something much simpler. So Brad, if somebody's listening, how do you get started with this stuff? I'm completely serious when I say, you know, your lowest barrier point to just writing your ideas down is what you have with you. You can find a piece of paper in your house and you can find a pen. So that's step one. Like people who are completely into digital who don't want to spin anything on analog, but say, hey, I listened to this guy talk about pens and paper for an hour and God, it was boring. But in the end, I think I might try. Just grab something around your house. That's okay. But for people who want to, you know, say, oh, this is a nice pen or a nicer pen than what I'm used to. You know, this is better than the pen I stole from the bank or this is better than the paper I found in, you know, my kid's backpack. There's a few things you can look at. Number one, I would at least at a minimum pick up a good gel ink pen from you can get that anywhere. You can get them at your grocery stores. You can get them at Staples. And you can find something like the Uniball Signo, uh, which is a very popular pen. And it will be better than 99% of the pens that you have available to you. And it's like a $2 pen. And the writing experience you'll get from that is is crazy good. A scale of, okay, let's have a scale of 1 to 10. Put, right. put a BIC, uh, what do you call the BIC technology? What is it, like the uh, roller? So the 
yeah, the big big is a ballpoint. Yeah. Yep. So, like, you can have the big ballpoint. Like, the big crystal is the famous ballpoint. It's the clear barrel blue cap that everyone's seen. Like, that's a really good pen for creatives. You'll see that in, like, design studios as a creative type pen because you can draw with that pen. It shades and does all kinds of cool stuff. So if you think you're going to be doing some sketching, I'm telling, I'm not even joking. Like I'm sitting here with like a pen that I paid $400 for. You're going to be able to draw better, (laughs) better sketches and better product design with a bit crystal ballpoint than I will be with this, this pen I have sitting here. But then there's, we'll get into reasons why I have these pens and it kind of goes into what Mike and, and, David were saying what y'all were saying about uh, you know how these things things make you feel but yeah the very basics bit crystal pilot precise v5 which is a rollerball ink pen a lot of people will be familiar with that and the uniball signo gel then like that's your baseline after that you have to stop going to stores and you have to start shopping online or go to stationary specific stores right those are your off the store shelf brands that you can buy that are good. After that, you want to start looking into, um, if you want to get into fountain pens, you want to look at companies like Pilot who make an entry-level fountain pen. Maybe you want to try a fountain pen, see what that feels like. And the easiest way to... Why should somebody try a fountain pen though, if someone's listening? In the end, it's very hard in the beginning to give a great answer why you should try a fountain pen. If... You think the end result of a fountain pen being the most customizable writing experience you can have, and that intrigues you, you have to start somewhere. And, you know, there's a couple places you can start. But it's a unique feeling. The way the nib and the ink get applied to the page is different than using any type of ball tip pen, which is your ballpoints, rollerballs, gel pens. And... A lot of people use it, find them better to write with because they don't have to put as much pressure on the page or they tend to not tense up as much when they use a fountain pen. I would never like argue someone's who says, well, I can only use the fountain pens are not for me. I can only use, you know, like more standard pen. That's great. Like not everyone will enjoy the fountain pen experience. I happen to to enjoy fountain pens because in the end I can get something that's very specific to me. And that could be the way it feels, the way it writes, the way it looks, the color of ink it uses, you know, the way the nib is designed, all of these things that are really, you know, nice to have, right? They're not necessarily changing the functionality of the fountain pen, but they're allowing me to express myself a little more in my writing um, to something like me. So that's, that's my, that's my pitch for trying fountain pens. They're very different beast. The one thing I can say for someone who's never tried a fountain pen, do not be scared of them. Like all this, all the horror stories you've ever heard about fountain pens, none of that, I won't say none of it's true, but it's really insignificant in the benefits. Yes, fountain pens have some maintenance requirements, right? You have to clean them and you have to take care of them a little bit. But there's a lot of myths out there about fountain pens, like you're going to wear out the nib or you can't let someone else borrow your pen or they're going to clog up all the time or ink's going to go everywhere. All of those are, you know, things you can get past real quick if you if you just take a little uh, little time to, to learn. You will have to put in some more maintenance to them, but it's very, very minimal. Like I clean, if I have 10 fountain pens inked up right now, I'll clean them once every three weeks or so. It'll take me about 
I don't know, 20 minutes and clean them up and then put them away and ink up some new pens. And I know you have a co-host who doesn't clean them quite as often. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole that's a whole issue. He's he's coming around a little bit. Like I've I've called him out enough times to where he's starting to see the light. <laughs> but but you know, you know, kind of getting back to the person listening, I mean, a uniball pen is great and they write really smooth. And if you want to, you know, and if you lose it, you don't feel like you just, you know. Yeah, you spent a lot of money and you lose it. You, you don't feel so bad. It, they're they're disposable in that sense. Um, what about a, a simple paper system to get started? If someone wants to throw a few bucks at this to get a little better at it, yeah, paper is actually harder than pens to you know get people on the right track with. Um, I wish I knew why. I mean, I I know why. I mean, there's there's limitations to how some of this is produced and they're not made for all types of pens, but there's no information on that for people who walk into into a store, see rows of notebooks and trying to make a determination the differences between what's inside, right? They can tell what's on the outside, but the only thing with paper with a notebook or a notepad or anything you're writing on is what's on the inside. That's really, really difficult for someone who doesn't, who's just doing this for the first time. The best thing I can tell you is there's a few brands that I would start with, and they are more expensive than your basic mead that you're going to find on Office Max's shelf. Sometimes you can find them in bookstores. Sometimes you can find them you know, locally in like brick and mortar stores, you can easily find them online, but you want to look at two brands. One brand's called Rhodia, which I mentioned earlier. Wait, wait, wait. I have to wait. Stop. I have to light a candle real quick. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) One brand's called Rhodia. It is the smoothest paper you will probably use without getting into some really, you know, technically super nerdy pen addict type of papers, right? It's kind of the best mainstream paper, highest quality, best writing experience for all types of pens that's reasonably accessible, right? It's not everywhere. It's not on every store shelf, but it's popular enough that it's in places you might not expect it to be. The other brand, if you're looking for your moleskin type, you want your one notebook that's like 200 pages, you know, the black notebook, very traditional style is a brand called Leuchtturm 1917. You'll see these everywhere. Like you can find them at Barnes and Nobles and bookstores and things like that. You can order them online. They trounce the moleskin in paper quality. So I love moleskin for their design. But their paper is traditionally poor for the majority of pens that go in them. They're fine for ballpoints. They're fine for pencils. They're okay for gel ink pens. They're terrible for rollerball pens and fountain pens and markers and things like that. So depending on how you want to use it, you can use a moleskin. But if you buy a Leuchtturm, which is same aesthetic but better paper and as many if not more options than Moleskine, as far as styles go to fit your own style, uh, the paper will work with a lot more pens. And that's what I like to recommend people buy initially is something that's not super particular, right? Rhodia's flaw is that the ink might not dry as quick, but I think that's a fair trade-off for what it offers. Leuchtturm, it may not work for like the wettest, widest nib of a fountain pen, but it works for most of them. That's a fair trade-off when you're trying to get into to paper. Paper 
is really hard. <laughs> it's a lot easier to recommend good pens than good paper. Even though good paper's out there, it's just not accessible for the very beginners who are getting into this stuff because there's more that goes into the paper than the actual paper itself, right? What pen are you going to use on this paper? You know, that determines whether the paper is good or bad, right? And these things aren't on the back of the, the packaging for notebooks. Rodia, Mike Hurley shared some Rodia paper with me once and it ruined mm -hmm. me for life because it feels like writing on a stick of butter. I mean, it just, mm -hmm. I, I can't explain how yeah. good it feels writing on it. And I know this is, like I said, we've, we've really traveled into nerdy country here. In fact, mm -hmm. let's go there for a minute. Uh, so what, what are, what is your pen and paper of choice? And granted, you're a guy who makes a living talking and mm -hmm. writing about this stuff. So everybody don't feel like you have to go crazy because <laughs> I think all three of us have kind of gone a little crazy. Uh, but, yeah. but let's, let's share it anyway. Let's just go there. So one of my favorite pen brands and people who know me who are listening to the show know I'm going to say Sailor, which is a Japanese manufacturer. Think of Sailor like if you're not familiar with pens at all and you're in the U.S., Sailor is part of the big three Japanese pen manufacturers, just like in the U.S., like Ford and Chevrolet and Dodge at one time were the the three big United States car manufacturers in Japan, which is the homeland of stationery to me. That's they they do it the the best and the biggest. They have Sailor, Pilot, and Platinum. That's referred to as the Japanese big three. I like all the pens from all of those companies. I use Sailor the most. I'm using a Sailor Pro Gear that I bought that was a very limited edition from a Japanese store called Bung Box. It's a very, it's like a limited edition, limited to, to 100 pins. We don't want to link that in the show notes. We don't need anyone <laughs> to, we don't need anyone to spend their money yet if they're not in pins on that. But like, that's something where like this pin is in a price point where it's more about the aesthetic than the performance, right? There is a, a you know, like there is a, a balance point to where you're paying more for, you know, external features than the actual writing instrument. That's why I say a bit crystal is perfectly acceptable. And I know Mike has gotten into the sailors. I've seen him and I know David, you're into the platinums and pilots and um, Japan does it the best. And that's where most of my favorite stationery comes from. So I'm using a Japanese notebook as well. It's a brand called Midori. Um, if you're in a bigger city and you have a shop called Kino Kaniya, like they're in New York, San Francisco, Dallas, there's a lot of places. It's a Japanese bookstore. They carry Midori notebooks. Those are fantastic. That's what I'm using right now. Um, as my main notebook, the notebook I was talking about, my commonplace notebook, uh, David, that you're now that I now have to go refer to it as. Thanks for that. Um, you're welcome. So yeah, I'm using a, <laughs> I'm using two Japanese products. I'm using a sailor pen and a Midori notebook, and those are kind of my sweet spot for aesthetic and high high performance like these are these are your high performance vehicles of the of the pen world right the sailor with their gold nibs and you know they're expensive but the way they work and the way they look just really fits my style i like to write small so japanese pens tend to have a smaller nib which is the tip size and sailor pens definitely uh, allow me to write my my tiny lettering that i like to do now, Mike, I know, so I've, as Mike's friend, I have seen him 
dip his toes into the pool of fancy pens and paper. And then kind of like within a month or so, <laughs> I feel like Mike had bought more pens than I have. I Yeah. <laughs> Let's not let him off the hook here. He's He's gone off the deep end. Yeah, Mike, explain yeah. to us what's going on over there. Well, it all started <laughs> one day in August last year when I was in a hotel lobby with David Sparks and Brad Dowdy. And we were getting in a, a lift. And first time I'd met you, Brad. Mm-hmm. So we were doing the, hey, where are you from? And I'm like, oh, some small town in Wisconsin you've never heard of, Appleton. And you're like, oh, Anderson Pens. <laughs> and uh, the co-working space that I often worked out of is literally a block away from Anderson Pens. So I had That's walked trouble. by it probably hundreds of times, <laughs> never set foot in it. And I resolved right then and there as we were getting in the lift that when I get back, I'm going to go into Anderson Pens and see what this is all about. Mm-hmm. So... Walked in, said Brad Dowdy sent me, and uh, walked out with a Schaefer 300. Shortly nice. after that, got a Twisby 580, and then went back and got a Sailor 1911 Fresca. Mm-hmm. And uh, the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brian and Lisa Anderson are awesome. They will take good care of you. And uh, I have other friends that shop in the store there as well and you can obviously shop online there but it's you're super lucky to have that option right that is a very for someone that's into stationary and pens to have that option in their town these days or at least close by is super super rare so uh yeah to have that i see why you got hot hooked uh hooked so well because uh you're just you're just surrounded by it once you walk in the door yeah, now before I had done that, I felt like I had done a pretty good job resisting. Joe Bulig had forced me mm-hmm. to try his fancy fountain pens at MacStock the year prior, and David was telling me about his his uh, Platinum 3776 with the custom architect grind and how awesome it was, and mm-hmm. I was like, nope, just not going to go there. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> went to the Relay 5-year event and uh, <laughs> decided into- to dip my toes in, and, and yeah, I, I really... Really uh, fell hard after that. Now, I've, I've shared some of this stuff in that article, but I've got a mm-hmm. fancy case that I keep them all in. I've got probably 20 pens at this point. One of the things I want to call out, though, the way I, I picked this up from Mike Hurley, he mentioned at one point that he will get pens as like a celebration for a completed project. Yeah. I, I started doing that, and that helped me. I shouldn't say helped. Depends who you ask, I guess. My wife might <laughs> say that it didn't help, but... Uh, it really infuses additional joy when I pick up a pen to use it now. When I know that, like, I'm I'm picking up my, uh, I've got a, uh, a Pro Gear Slim Lucky Charm that I picked up when we finished and shipped the mm-hmm. the Mastering Mind Maps course. You know, I picked that up and I decided to use that that day. Not only is it something that feels really good and I like the look of and it's it's a joy to use, but it's also like a little boost to my self-esteem, like a reminder that I am the type of person who can <laughs> can uh, plan and, and complete a project. So right now that's been super important for me. I love that you put that in the article, that you can have, you can attach these meanings to these analog tools and that you can't attach to. Man, Todoist really got me through that project. I am so fortunate to have Todoist and I'm going to get the premium subscription for my birthday. It doesn't work that way, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but to be able to say, look at this, you know, pick up this pen. It's like, I remember when 
you know, I delivered this project and like, I had these good thoughts about this project and, you know, this was my reward for, for executing that. And like, you'll always have that no matter, no matter what. And I think that's one of the, the really cool things about, about analog that we don't talk about that much uh, about how the stories you can tell with some of these products, because I mean, it's, it's a luxury item, anything like over, over a big, right over a big and a copy paper is, is unnecessary. These are all luxury items, but the way you can tie these into your life and they can help you get through your work and they can make you feel things differently and think about things differently. I think it was super important. Yeah. It's not, it's no longer just a display case that has a expensive collection. It's almost like a trophy case at that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't and mean anything to anybody else, but me, but that's enough. <laughs> I really, exactly. there's a lot of joy that comes from, from doing that. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Right now I'm using, I'm taking notes as we're recording here with my uh, Sailor 1911 4AM, which mm-hmm. I really like the uh, the translucent body and the the black trim on this. Yep, I have that one. That's a great one. I'm a big Sailor fan, so I've got a, a couple 1911s, a couple Pro Gears. Uh, I do have a one pen that has a custom grind, which is the Platinum 3776. It's the red carnelian with mm-hmm. an architect grind. I've actually got another one on the way from the nib grinder. Um, <laughs> but uh, this was my first experience with a custom grind, and I really do like it. I, I don't think it's the type of thing that is a default, like you need to do this. I think there's a possibility that, depending on your writing style, maybe a specialty grind isn't going to give you any additional value or joy. But uh, I really do like it at... I think for the type, right type of person, those types of grinds can really make a difference in your your handwriting. My handwriting is kind of chicken scratch to begin with. It's not nearly as neat as your analog download cards. Mm. So you could make the case that I don't really need that either, but I wanted to give it a shot. <laughs> yeah, I and, and what paper are you using, Mike? I have used a lot of different papers in the past. I really do like the Rhodia A5. But as I mentioned in the article, I'm kind of doing this hybrid bullet journal thing. We'll have to get into the specifics of that at some point, David. But uh, it's a Ugmunk heirloom journal. It's like an A5 size with leather covers and then like these brass rings. It's compatible with the Levenger circuit system. And I wasn't a huge fan of the paper that came with it. I think it was proprietary paper. And it just had a little bit too much feathering for some of my broader nibs that I, I wanted to use. So I'm using... Per recommendation from Jeff Abbott, uh, Claire Fontaine uh, Triumph that mm-hmm. I got, I bought from Anderson Pens and then punched myself. And uh, it's not available in Dot Grid, which would be my preference, but I just have the blank stuff and I haven't missed the Dot Grid too much. So this is what I'm sticking with for the foreseeable future. Yeah, that's like the, I, I call Claire Fontaine the premium Rhodia right? It's just a little bit nicer, just a little bit thicker page, really good performance for fountain pens. And yet that is the pad that Jeff uses for all of his, all of his pen and ink reviews on the pen addict. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. I, so I, um, I, I got into the fountain pens based on, on Brad and Mike, honestly. And so I tried a couple of them. It was kind of a mixed bag for me. Like I said, I, I kind of, I tried it with a legitimate interest and I started to lean back into iPad and more digital tools and then realized I was, I actually was getting benefit out of it. I hadn't realized. So I went back to paper, 
but I've been a little more kind of mercenary about it. Um, once I, I, the pin I like is the platinum pin with the architect grind. And I have two, I have one with a medium, uh, architect grind, one with one with a broad architect grind. And honestly, I can't tell the difference between them. They're so close, uh, <laughs> but the, um, but I also tried a sailor pin, but I, I bought it as a fine tip and it just seemed to me like fine was what you're supposed to get with a fountain pen. I didn't like it. It felt scratchy to me. I don't know. The, yeah. um, uh, for whatever reason, the platinum pen, I just really like the smooth flow of it. And kind of in relation, this Rhodia paper for me is so perfect. And originally I was using those Rhodia webbies, the little, um, their little notebooks with, uh, it's rated 90. I forget what the unit is GSM or something. What's the unit for paper. Mm-hmm. But, but that it's very thick paper. It's got a little bit of a yellow orange tint to the paper. So if you use green ink, it looks really nice. And it was great, except for the fact that I realized that a notebook that went from one page to the next really wasn't ideal for me. Because a lot of times I start writing on thinking that like I'm working on a field guide and I'll write two or three pages about some ideas for what I'm going to do. And I don't want that in the middle of my, my, my journal, you know? So um, I don't want a commonplace in that sense. I, I kind of want to keep things segregated. So I tried the um, Levenger disc system and Levenger is an American company. I just wanted something that was easy for me to get access to. You know, you can order it there in the U S you get it. That's so many of these, the better paper and disc systems are actually over in Europe um, or Asia. So, so I tried Levenger and I thought it was okay. I gave up the Rhodia webbies and used Levenger for like six months and then one day, just on a lark, I pulled out the the Rhodia and I wrote in it. And I realized that the difference in paper was not something I could accept anymore. <laughs> it, <laughs> it felt like, you know, it, it honestly, and I, this is such a nerdy thing. And I, I totally understand if you're rolling your eyes right now, but it feels like writing on sandpaper versus butter. It's just so different. Yeah. And um, so much so that I thought, well, maybe I have to throw this Levenger system overboard and go back to the Webby's. But I really like the ability on the disk system. It works great because like one of my workflows is I, I I log every day and I journal every day. But at the end of the day, I pull it out of the disk system and I shoot a picture of it with GoodNotes, which is this great little app that basically gives me a digital version of my of my journal. And if I do like stray into something that's not part of a journal, I can still pull that out and take a picture of that and put it in a different place digitally. Um, and so the disk system makes a lot of sense for me, but I, I just realized I really don't like Levenger paper so much so that I have like three inches of it here. I'm about to send off to a listener. Um, mm. But then a dear listener who heard me bemoaning this sent me a note saying, get yourself some Rhodia A4 pads because A4 size paper is usually taller than letter paper, U S letter paper, but mm-hmm. the way they make those pads, you actually tear off a big chunk of it at the top and you can punch it and put it into a Levenger letter size thing. And it works just fine. Um, the, um, the Rhodia a four paper is a little thinner than their webby paper, but I can write on both sides of it. It doesn't bleed through at all. And, um, that so I've been doing that now for a couple months, and I think that's probably where I'm going to stay. Um, maybe someday I'll I'll switch over to an actual A4 size disc system, but I have the Levenger punch at this point. I do like the Levenger month tabs, so I can kind of like flip through them, and um, and and I'm kind of in a good place. 
the the interesting thing is I, I've all of this kind of resulted in me not really being that interested in buying more pins because mm-hmm. I got the one I like. You know, there is a pin I talked to you about this. It's like a thousand dollar pin someday I could buy. Mm-hmm. I got two kids to put through college. I got to stop <laughs> thinking about that stuff. Right? You know. There's always one, yep. right? There. I think you There's guys call always. the grail pin on your show, but I'm actually intentionally kind of backing away from that a little bit because mm-hmm. I paid $300 for this pin. I mean, this is way more pin than anybody should ever have. And it right. writes beautifully. And I have three or four different color inks and I don't have, you know, when one ink runs out, it's fun to wash it out and put, okay, I've been writing in Bondi blue for the last six months. Now I'm going to write in a shade of red. Just for the, that's the heck almost it, like know? getting a new pen. <laughs> yeah, it is. Know, so, it is. So I, I've kind of like backed off a little bit, but that being said, I'm using the pens and papers under fire now every day, and I can't imagine not doing it anymore. Yeah, that's great. It, one little almost throwaway comment you said there, just for your listeners' perspective on how how deep this level of nerdery goes with pens. So David said you know, that I bought a fine nib sailor and I didn't like it as much as my medium nib platinum. That's an hour long discussion on our show. Just yeah, I that know. sentence. <laughs> I know. I know. And just, I I'm just putting that in context for your listeners who are not familiar with pens. That little throwaway comment is just hours worth of conversation just discussing that one sentence on <laughs> on the pen attic. So yeah, that's how that's how deep this goes. Yeah, well, the way I write the architect grind is really nice. And for every almost everybody listening who is it's still listening, thank you. But um, <laughs> with the vertical strokes in an architect grind, they're very thin, and the horizontal strokes are very broad. And the way I write it actually looks nice and it's pleasant mm-hmm. to me. And what I should have done is bought a broad sailor with an architect mm-hmm. grind, but I just can't get myself to spend the money on it. You know, maybe I will one day, and just just to see how it goes. So, David, the pen that is coming as we record this from Mark Backus, the the nib grinder, is actually a hybrid grind. So if you write with it normally, it's an architect, but you can actually flip the pen over and use it as an extra fine. (laughs) Can I tell you all how happy I am right now listening to this? (laughs) I feel like we've we've gone past the Rubicon here. I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, this stuff is fun, but you know, um, a pick pan or even just a nice roller ball, uh, is great. Uh, what I did for the longest time was I, I would get those, um, field notes, uh, mm-hmm. little notebooks cause they're nice. They fit in your pocket with a, you know, a disposable pen and that you can get there. The same Absolutely. Way. Yeah. Absolutely. Wow. We, we covered a lot of ground today, guys. <laughs> that we did. Absolutely. I think Mike is secretly very happy that we were able to get into nib grinds. I'm just, I'm just I just feel. <laughs> hey, hey, we could we could keep going and like really turn off all your listeners real quick. I, I had no idea how far <laughs> Mike had gone down this uh, this rabbit hole. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty bad. I've got quite an ink collection too. Yeah, that's the biggest problem. I mean, Mike's Mike's biggest problem is accessibility, right? He can that's true. access the best stuff in the United States at his front door, essentially. And they're so knowledgeable about stuff yep. too. I mean, every, any question I've had, they've been able to, to answer it. And I'm the type of person where if I'm going to figure something out, I'm going to really figure it out. 
And so there's always something else to figure out when it comes to fountain pens. Yes, there is. Actually, you know, I think, and, and Brad is not going to be happy to hear this, but you know what kind <laughs> of cured me of really this whole rabbit hole was going to the pin show. The, the weekend mm-hmm. that, um, that Mike's eyes were opened, um, I went with Brad. They had a pin show in San Francisco right next to the relay event or near the relay event. So I went down there and I realized how big the world was. And I realized I don't have the money or the time to go down this road. <laughs> so, oh, I think that's a fantastic realization. Like I would yeah. be all for that. Absolutely. I regret not going to that, by the way, because I, I remember you saying you were going to stay an extra day and go to that, David. And I'm like, I'll figure it out and I'll go some other time. So Joe Bulig and I were planning to go to the Chicago show. My first mm-hmm. pen show has somebody who's going to go with me. And obviously now everything is, is canceled. Yeah. So, but I'll tell you, I, the the um, architect grind and and that platinum smooth writing pen and on that super smooth uh, rodeo paper I have never experienced writing like that before and it it really is a different thing and uh, yep. I never would have discovered it with all your help I mean Brad has got so many Slack messages from me at all hours of the day <laughs> he's been so nice to answer them absolutely I love to do it and like if I can figure out the things that make you stop buying more things, I've done my job pretty well. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying I'll never buy another one. I know. I know. But, but like, that's that's but, good. Like, I am good yeah. with that answer. That's great, I think. Well, either way. Uh, I'll just I keep hope... buying them on your behalf. Yeah, there you go. Well, you guys got to keep reporting back <laughs> to me. Like, that's right. Th- this that's right. idea of a, a pen with a switchable nib is intriguing, but at the same time, I've been writing for a year with a broad architect nib. I don't think I, and I've never missed a fine nib, so I, I'm probably okay. Yeah. Um, but either way, uh, we are the Focus Podcast. Um, you can find us over at relay.fm slash focus. Brad has many places on the internet you can find him. Uh, penaddict.com is a good place. On the Relay Network, uh, relay.fm slash penaddict, which is an excellent place. It's a gateway drug. Go in mm-hmm. there and have a good time. I, I love not only what you guys talk about, but the enthusiasm you and Mike bring to the topic. Um, where else should people look for you, Brad? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Dowdyism, D-O-W-D-Y-I-S-M, my one outlier name, and on Instagram at Penaddict. So everything else is linked off of penaddict.com. Anywhere you need to find me, the pen cases, the pens, it's all linked there on penaddict.com. Thank you to our sponsors, ExpressVPN, Blinkist, and Focus at Will. Like I said, we're the Focus Podcast. We'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>